This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Dick. For those who closely watch the Supreme Court, the phrase first Monday means the high court is starting its new term. That is, it's the first Monday of October when the justices start hearing new arguments. This term could be a very significant one. The most high-profile case is about a Mississippi abortion law that outlaws that practice after 15 weeks. But there's more to watch, more cases, and the justices themselves who are finding themselves under scrutiny because of the political vibe that has defined so many of their actions lately. CQ Roll Call senior writer and legal affairs correspondent Todd Ruger is here on the podcast to discuss. Todd, welcome to Political Theater. Thanks, Jason. Great to be here. Uh, I feel like we have a a regular vibe going with the Supreme Court. Um, At the end of the last term, it seemed as if there were fewer hot-button issues that the court was was considering. It was kind of, you know, I think some of the scholars and journalists referred to it as sort of a transitional term, if you will, uh, with the uh, with the latest lineup of six, six Republican-appointed justices and three Democratic-appointed justices. And uh, and this last, this, this next term promises to be a little different because, uh, I mean, abortion, which has been a, a you know, uh, sort of defined so much of politics the last 50 years. Uh, this is the, this this case in Mississippi that's coming before them that they'll hear in December is going to be, you know, possibly the most direct challenge that we've seen in a while to Roe versus Wade, but there are other things. So, but let's, before we start getting into the caseloads themselves, because, and they are significant, I want to talk about them. Let's talk about where the justices are, you know, the, the, over the, uh, congressional recess, you know, the even the justices seem to fan out and defend themselves in ways that we, um, you know, justices talk all the time at, you know, different forums and colleges and so forth. But there was almost a defensive um, kind of uh, posture that Clarence Thomas, Amy Coney Barrett, Stephen Breyer all found themselves in. Why all of a sudden are we seeing justices sort of defend themselves, their conduct in the court so vigorously? Well, I think um, you have uh, a, a situation where the confirmation process in the Senate um, was so heated and um, se- that the Republicans used the Senate rules to their uh, ultimate end and blocked one of Obama's nominees, put one of uh, Trump's o- nominees on the court just before the election, seemingly to contradict themselves as to when a Supreme Court justice should be confirmed in relation to a Supreme or a, to a presidential election, and so you have a superheated um, situation because that ultimately moved the court from five four to six three, and you mentioned that it was a transitional term, uh, and that's because it was the first this last term that ended in in back July first basically. Uh, that was the first time that it had been 6-3. And it was during the middle of the pandemic. They never even met in person. But by the end of the term, uh, they had set up what we have coming now in October, which is a new term that has some of the biggest issues on it. In the meantime, on the last day of the term, they, they, they put down two decisions on common ideological grounds, 6-3, Republican appointees versus Democratic appointees, 
uh, on voting rights and money in politics, which are two big hot-button issues. Um, and so, the, oh, and then over the summer, you had um, so this emergency docket, the, these emergency requests. And the, there was a series of decisions that they made on that, some about um, the, the COVID restrictions in New York and California, where the Supreme Court got involved and struck them down on religious liberty grounds. And then you had um, this Texas abortion law get up there, and the justices let it go into effect, even though um, the law, you know, once it's in effect, is basically contrary to the last 50 years of Supreme Court precedent, starting in 1973 with Roe v. Wade. So you have intense scrutiny on everything that they're doing because they're touching some of the biggest topics that are out there. Um, and so they, yes, some of the justices have gone out and done sort of a what I, what you could call a public relations tour for the court, saying we're not political. We're um, we're making judicial philosophy decisions, not political decisions. Um, and uh, that they usually don't defend the reputation of the court that upfront, and there's usually not that many in a row. So it's sort of notable that they're going out there and doing this. I would note, too, that, I mean, I mentioned that the, the three sort of most prominent ones were Clarence Thomas, who's the longest-serving justice at this point. Uh, he sort of said, that, you know, we're not ideological. We're, we just, you know, we're, we're judicial scholars, if you will. <laughs> we, we, we uh, I mean, I'm saying it sort of inarticulately, but he defended that it's not a political organization. Uh, and But then most interesting for me, too, was that Stephen Breyer, you know, sort of went on a little bit of a, a publicity tour for a book that he wrote. Now, he's, uh, he was appointed by President Clinton uh, in, in the 90s, and he is um, not a young man, uh, we'll say, we can say diplomatically. Uh, liberals and Democrats have been pressuring him, you know, some, some sort of more diplomatically than not, uh, to retire so that President Biden can pick somebody and it can be, and that pick could be uh, confirmed by a Democratic Senate. Uh, he he defended you know the court as non-political and also his place in it, and then Amy Coney Barrett uh, w appeared at the McConnell Center uh, the, uh, in Kentucky, uh, it, you know named after uh, Senate Majority or Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, who was so instrumental in getting her confirmed right before the twenty twenty election. So it's interesting that they're defending themselves in whether they like it or not. These are overt political times. <laughs> Right. I think, I mean, I think that part of the Supreme Court's um, defensive posture right now is everything that's happening around it. You know, they didn't elect Donald Trump um, to be president. They didn't elect Mitch McConnell to be the, then the Senate majority leader who shepherded through three of Donald Trump's picks and shifted the court. Um, but, you know, in the past, they've had, a, uh, the conservatives have had a 5-4 advantage for decades, right? But they have always had somebody in the middle that was sort of uh, well, we're not going to go quite there yet. We're not going to go quite there yet. I mean, um, in on the issue of abortion, there hasn't been a major um, swing in that for years. There, there, the Second Amendment and gun rights, which is another case coming up, they um, they haven't touched that since the original decision in hell called in case called Heller that said you have a constitutional right to um, defend yourself in your home, and and. In the, in the meantime, there have all been all these states that have put out all these, these laws um, that the Supreme Court has not re reviewed, you know, uh, limiting the size of magazines, limiting what type of guns you can have. Supreme Court hasn't touched it. Now, all of a sudden, they've taken a case because it's 6-3 and there's less of a, a regulator on that push to the right. Um, and, and most people who are observers of the Supreme Court think, now, now this is the moment when they could go 
to the right. That limiter is gone, and the two issues that they have teed up, abortion, guns, huge. So um, th- this is a political atmosphere, the, 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 and the, the issues they're touching are incredibly political. They run through you know, every congressional campaign, every primary, every Republican primary, uh, pr- every presidential race. So let's talk about these these um, the caseload for the new term uh, new term and and I I don't want to, I don't want to lose track also of the docket the emergency docket because I know that you actually tuned into a hearing in the Senate today about this docket uh, and it's 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 under a little bit of discussion more than you normally get some more chatter than you normally get yeah absolutely <laughs> uh, and and to to your, to your point uh, earlier Justice Alito is going to be giving a speech on this emergency docket you know, presumably defending it. Um, and so he's going out and making a public case because it's just this this thing that usually isn't in the public eye is now incredibly in the public eye because, as, as some abortion advocates have said, th- letting this Texas law go into effect took away the constitutional right to abortion for one out of 10 women in America who are of reproductive age because Texas is such a huge state. Let's we'll return to the docket, the emergency docket, after we go run through kind of the the, the biggest cases that that you'll you'll be tuning into that and probably will have you know arguably the farthest reach. There is a um, a law that Mississippi, the Mississippi legislature passed, and the and the governor signed down there uh, is is under con, you know consideration. The, the Supreme Court will hear this in December, and this would outlaw the practice after 15 weeks. And this is this is very much a direct challenge to Roe versus Wade, right? I mean, like the, the even like the the Texas law, you know, is is a, is a, up this weird situation where private citizens are kind of deputized <laughs> to to like sue people over over abortion, which is you know, odd and a way that they sort of evaded some judicial review, at least at this point. But the Mississippi law, this is very much a direct challenge to Roe versus Wade. Like, the, it was almost like waiting for Barrett's vote. <laughs> right. So, so um, Republican-led states have been passing laws uh, that, that go against uh, Roe v. Wade and KCV Planned Parenthood. Uh, which is a 1992 decision that's that's really important. That's set up uh, basically a viability standard as to when states might be able to ban abortion. If if the fetus can survive outside of the womb on its own, then you can't. Then you can ban it after that. Well, a 15 week ban is pro- is considered before that um, under current. You know, basically what everybody has agreed to. That's earlier than that. And the, and the Texas one um, is a six week ban. So that's even earlier. Um, but but yeah, there's there's nobody um, that has argued that basically argues that under the current Supreme Court precedents, Mississippi's 15 week ban ban after 15 weeks is uh, would would withhold scrutiny. Um, and yet the justices have agreed to hear it. So that there, there's a saying that you know the justices don't take a case just to tell the lower court they got it right. You know, there's usually <laughs> something that they think that there's they no need to say. There's no cases. <laughs> no, not very many. And and so in this case, what you're doing is you're opening up the Roe v. Wade and Casey Planned Parenthood box. And w- once they open it, you're not sure what they're going to do. And um, the Mississippi in this case has um, has asked them to overturn these precedents. The a bunch of the the friends of the court briefs, including Republican lawmakers, have asked them to do the same. Um, and and so you you do, what we don't know is what the justices are going to do 
ultimately, if they're going to find some sort of narrow ground, uh, are are they going to say, well, we don't, we actually took this case in error, we're going to kick it back, and uh, or, or you know, the lower court to consider something else. You know, there's always some off ramps that might take, or are they going to go all the way? Um, you know, do they have the votes for that? And so you've got. Um, you know, I guess that's what everybody's watching. But there's there's really, I think, little um, indication that they would actually just uphold the current law as it is. And the gun rights case, uh, I mean, this has gotten a little less attention uh, than than the abortion case. And, and again, I, we should say that the uh, the abortion case will be uh, heard in December. The decision won't come out until like the late, you know, the late summer, right before the court wraps up to term, which is usually late ju- late June, early July. So, I mean, w- that will just happen to place it right in the middle <laughs> of the midterm election season uh, with unknown consequences about who that would motivate, I mean, depending on what the, you know, what the result is. Uh, but the, this gun rights case, though, has gotten a lot less attention. Let's talk about that one. Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, the the Supreme Court took a, a Second Amendment case for the first time in a long time. I believe it was last term, and they said, and it ended up New York ha- got rid of the law, and so the the Supreme Court ended up saying, "Oh, well, this case is moot." Then, um, but they've been they've the Republican uh, appointed justices have been itching for another case on the Second Amendment. Here it comes, and this one is on concealed carry permits, which is. Um, a thing that a lot of states have put into place, and a lot of there's a lot of discrepancy between the states on who can carry uh, a, a weapon and concealed, and who can get a permit for it. And New York City has one of the strictest laws about who they give it to. It's not enough just to say like I kind of want to defend myself. You have to have a particularized reason, and uh, for that for that for that reason, they're saying it's essentially stopping their Second Amendment right. Uh, these two gun owners and um, a gun. Uh, group is basically saying it's stopping the Second Amendment right to possess firearms. Now, that that goes beyond the home. The, the original Supreme Court ruling um, that, that said that there was a right to bear arms uh, said it was for defense in the home. So now that this is, they could consider, does this mean for defense outside of the home? And, and again, you have, once you open up that Second Amendment box, what are these nine justices going to come up with to, um, to say what, what the contours of the Second Amendment are and how, how much states can ban um, firearms and, and the, the carrying of firearms in public? And you mentioned Heller, the, this case uh, from 2008. It was District of Columbia versus Heller. Heller had challenged the District of Columbia's handgun ban. Um, you know, he had gotten a couple of courts to to rule, you know, uh, you know, or the courts had ruled sort of for him and the District of Columbia, like, challenged, they they challenged it to the Supreme Court. They wanted the Supreme Court to uphold, like, their their gun ban, and it did not work out <laughs> to, the, to the District of Columbia's favor. Um, it, it was, uh, I, I remember some of the debate about, like, what they should how they should do this because it would affect more than just simply the District of Columbia if they went to the Supreme Court. And this is this was the last time that we had a, one of these major rulings where the justices said very affirmatively there is a right to for people to possess handguns in their own home, uh, which, you know, some people had pushed saying that the Second Amendment, you know, was, talks about militias and all this kind of stuff. Uh, so th- this, uh, as you said, they haven't had a lot of chances to rule past that, this New York uh, law, you know, that was moot that you referred to in the last term. Um, and so all of a sudden we find ourselves um, in this situation where guns and abortion, two of the biggest, you know, 
topics in a, that define people's, you know, sort of passions in politics are going to be before this court. So is it really, I mean, is it really any wonder that justices find themselves, you know, like thought of as political animals if this is what they're ruling on and they have the potential to affect, you know, the lives of millions of people? <laughs> right. I, 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 you know, I don't think they should be surprised <laughs> at all, but, you know, it's one of the, it's one of those things that, um, that the politics isn't necessarily um, solving. So um, once again, it's kicked to the courts to solve or or states to to try to figure out. Um, and 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 you know when you when you look at how each side wants the court to rule, you know they want to say, well, would on the Second Amendment stay out of stay out of states' ability to regulate, and on the abortion, the other side they say states should be able to regulate abortion however they want. And so you know you know. The, there's there's a thread through all of these that are going to constantly be pulled up in campaigning f- throughout the next year. Um, the uh, there I've seen fundraising emails off of the abortion decision already. I've seen um, uh, well I, I've seen basically I've seen fundraising. You've seen things. Already. You've seen things, Todd. <laughs> well, it's just I mean I've heard things. I've seen things. No, it's, it's I mean it's it it's it's out there and there's it's not going to stop because the. The Texas case, it's not before the court right now. There's well, there's a there's an application um, by some groups to reconsider their decision. The the Justice Department has filed a challenge to the Texas law um, that probably will come up in the next month or two or three. So it's going they're going to have to deal with that. So it's going to not only is there going to be the the oral argument, but then this tech on the Mississippi case, but then. The, the these minor decisions on the Texas case, and then the final decision on the te- on the on the Mississippi case in June, um, it's not going to go away, and it's going to be it's going to be a major 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 issue. <laughs> is there something more than major, or do you just have to keep saying major? I mean, is it major? Like there was a character in Catch Twenty Two, major, 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 major. Um, <laughs> it's it's more major than that. <laughs> more major than it's, that. I mean, it's it, five majors. Y- you know this. It's it's <laughs> run through. It's run through all, all sorts of politics. It's been a major pillar of the Republican platform forever. And and you kind of wonder, like, if they overturn, if the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade and, and Casey versus Planned Parenthood, what happens to that issue? Um, and, you know, what's interesting is watching what's happening in Texas right now, because, you know, the Justice Department filed this brief that said, we here's all of these petitions, here's all this documentation we have for women not being able to um, get one, get an abortion in Texas, uh, them having to travel hundreds of miles to neighboring states, uh, neighboring states having overflowing abortion clinics with Texas residents, and many um, Texas residents not able to afford the t- either the time or the money to travel um, across state lines to get an abortion. So pretty soon we're going to start seeing the fallout of what might happen if they strike down Roe v. Wade have you know happening in real time and how is that going to play in with their decision and when they you know they're going to hear the case but they're probably not going to decide it for months so like are they going to be watching what's happening in Texas the whole time it's um it's it's going to be a rapidly developing area for something that's been pretty stable for quite a long time right and to your point about you know congress has not addressed this uh i mean the house passed the, the democratic controlled house passed the bill uh Recently, that that affirmed Roe versus Wade as the law of the land and a right to an abortion. They kicked it to the Senate, where it is expected to be promptly filibustered as soon as it comes up on the floor. 
um, you know, the the vast majority of the Republican Party, you know, is this is you know is anti-abortion. Certainly, the vast majority of of Republican senators uh, are. So they have the votes to block it. So it is it ends up back again in the Supreme Court's lap to address this thing that Congress cannot. Um, and it seems like that's you know going to be the the kind of the dynamic for a while. The the discussion back to Texas, I think, gives us an opportunity to go back to this the the, the you know what's going on with this emergency docket. So the this this docket, uh, explain what this is. Some people call it the emergency docket. That's what the justices prefer to call it. Some people call it the shadow docket, uh, which sounds kind of uh, uh, I don't know, like a a, a villain, villainous sort of thing. You know, I, I'm sure there are other word, uh, other terms that, that, that are used for it. But what is it? <laughs> just, just tell tell our listeners, what is this docket, this mysterious docket or emergency docket, depending on your viewpoint? Y- yeah, so, so um, every court that exists in America, pretty much, has to deal with emergency motions and emergency actions. And they have to deal with them Immediately, because they're emergencies. And uh, here in particular, in the Texas case, as an example, um, you know, our, the, the women in Texas and the, those that are challenging it, the law, said our constitutional rights are going to be infringed on this particular day when it goes into effect unless you stop it from going into effect. So the, the court only has until that certain day. So there's no way that they're going to, um, you know, have a full briefing. Uh, you know, oral arguments, months to ponder and write and and discuss and then come out with a reasoned opinion. They just have to do something right away. Um, now, they often have done something, you know, this usually comes up in, in like capital cases where there's uh, somebody that's on death row in a state and they have a last minute appeal and they're going to be executed at midnight unless the Supreme Court does something. So, that you know, they do it uh, often and a lot of times it's life or death. Now, in this particular case, um, and I, and this summer, the COVID protocol uh, issue the, the, that they brought, that they ruled um, about religious liberty, they ruled in that way, but they didn't, they didn't have a briefing. They didn't have, um, uh, you know, a, a full, full oral arguments and, uh, on that right. But they do still vote. They do vote. Yeah, they do vote. And, um, and it takes five, five votes to do something. Um, and and then on the Texas abortion one, uh, it was six three or it was five four. Excuse me. The the chief justice joined the three liberals um, to to say like may, you know we should try to put a stop to this. And they could have said you know they 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 have five votes. They could pretty much do anything, right? They could say well you know what let's just put it on hold for two weeks and we'll do something really fast, or let's put it on hold for a month and we'll do something a little slower. Um, and and yet, you know, in the end, they were basically like, we don't have the ability to do anything because there's no defendant in this case. And there's no defendant in this case because uh, of the way that the law was set up in this crazy way that, that it's civilians that would enforce it rather than the state. State officials usually would enforce, enforce something like that. Um, and so they, you know, they didn't, they didn't do that. And what um, the, the dissenters in that case, Sonia Sotomayor and Elena Kagan, um, most notably, we're basically like this. Is, we keep using this shadow docket more and more um, to issue more substantive stuff, and um, you know it, it th- that doesn't have a full reasoning. There's if they want to dissent, they can, but there's no requirement that they dissent or say how they voted. You know, sometimes it's just the court says, and um, and, and so you've got 
you know, in this particular case, I think why it's gotten so much attention now is because you've got this thing that the abortion, which has driven so much of politics for 50 years. And then to, to get, to allow a law to go in to infringe that without a full hearing. I mean, it's like, it's, it's just the biggest deal that the Supreme Court issue, this biggest issue the Supreme Court could deal with. Um, and major, they did major, it in this major, way. Major, 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 major. Yeah, five majors. <laughs> five majors. Five majors. Yeah, and, and again, not to make light of it, but it is, it is, seems that the, the, the justices sort of crying like don't judge us as political figures does seem to ring hollow when they are basically they are they have political like decisions or political ramifications to everything they're doing so it's it's it does seem that i mean if they're going to continue to use this as as kagan and sotomayor warned they ju- it just opens them up to even more because you know it's it's been abortion and and a couple of other issues but what if it's something that is beyond just like a capital case or something like that and you know it, it it's going to be it Every institution changes, but this does seem to be picking up a lot of steam lately. Yeah, and so so much attention. And um, as one as one law professor said recently, th- th- this is basically if you if if the justices keep coming out with decisions that they say is judicially motivated, philosoph- judicial philosophy motivated, but they just always happen to align with the political brand of the, who they who appointed the president who appointed them. The, the public's not going to buy that for very long. And so they've got a really intricate, complex problem on their hand that they're dealing with um, this term. And another thing that people will be discussing too as the term progresses is, you know, Stephen Breyer is sticking around for another term. Uh, I mean, he'll, he'll be there at least for this term, it seems, or, or intends to be. And, uh, you know, if... Depending on what happens in the next midterm election, that could you know, that could be really something. You know, the, the focus will be on him a lot because, as a as somebody who's in a dwindling minority of Democratic appointees, um, he'll he'll be under a lot of pressure to retire. So, in our last podcast with you, you said like this is all about Briar Watch, Briar decided to just go on a book tour and talk about how great life on the Supreme Court is, even into your 80s. And, uh, you know, there he is. So it, it's it's just going to continue to be a political sort of situation. Um, one thing that's not, doesn't seem to be political uh, that we can talk about just on a logistics level is that for the first time since the pandemic started, uh, they will have live arguments and and attendance uh, at 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 the court. Uh, so that's that's a little bit of a change, a little bit of a turning point. Yeah, it's wild. Um, I talked to a reporter today uh, who went back to the courthouse this time, you know, for the first time in eighteen months to make sure that his computer still worked when he was there. <laughs> you know, um, because it's just been forever, and they are uh, extremely limiting the number of people that are in there. Essential court personnel, the justices, the arguing attorneys. And uh, a few p- few members of the media, no public though, still still close to the public, um, and as a result, they are still going to be live streaming these arguments, which um, I'm all in favor of. Uh, it's been gr- that's been a great aside to the COVID. Un- you know, the unfortunate COVID has this aside where there's been a lot more access to listening to the oral arguments, and um, uh, you know I don't they they are going to change the format a bit you know, when they were doing this live streaming stuff and they were doing it by teleconference, they took turns asking questions, they're still going to have something like that um, now in oral arguments, which they never had before. It's usually just a free-for-all. But now that it's basically they're going to stop at a certain point and say, okay, 
do you have any questions? Do you have any questions? Do you have any questions? And so um, it'll be it'll be a different dynamic. Um, and and then we don't know what's going to happen if if the pandemic goes away and are the you know they have this plan through December. So in January, are they going to continue to stream them or not? We don't know. So, but but yeah, they're returning to in person work. Well, first Monday, it's not just a uh, um, Walter Matthau movie from <laughs> from long ago about the uh, about the Supreme Court. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll expect your uh, film review of the that classic uh, of American uh, cinema at some point. Uh, I'll have to go rewatch uh, <laughs> it. Go re-watch it. <laughs> uh, but yes, first Monday that is the, uh, the the first day of the Supreme Court's new term. Uh, I know it's been uh, this. This will be uh, uh, another another really interesting round to cover. So thanks for for doing that for us. Yep, you got it. All right, thanks, Todd.